Welcome to another episode of the Physical Education Podcast. Today I spoke with Chandler Stevens, also known as Chandler the Mover on Instagram. He is a movement coach and founder of the Summer School. We talked about lots of stuff. We started out with uh, discussing movement, trying to understand movement and your individual experience of uh, mobility issues and pain in a greater context and how it, uh, how essentially any of these physical complaints are inseparable from what's happening internally, mentally, uh, emotionally, psychologically and within your environment. And this idea of digging deeper into the causes of your pain, the causes of your poor health, what is it that's holding you back, what is it that's at the core of you that's, um, that's at odds with what you're striving towards. Some big discussions um, and hopefully this was the first of a few more of these discussions. In any case, I hope you enjoy this one and I'll see you at the end. Thanks for coming on Chandler, how are you? I'm doing well, Perfect. how are you? So, I'm very good, very good. I have a bit of a cold, uh, a bit of a tickly cough, so I might be coughing. I'll try to keep it discreet. Um, but yeah, I'm good. Uh, thanks for coming on. And to get us started, could you just give us a bit of a background, what you do, how you came to do what you do, all that sort of stuff? Sure, yeah. So I uh, primarily make my living through uh, coaching, whether that's one-on-one or in a group setting. Uh, I have a teacher training program that I organize as well. Uh, and coaching can be kind of a nebul- nebulous thing, but event- essentially I started out in the movement world. That led me more into kind of the mind-body practice. Hmm. That led me more into self-development work. And so at this point, it's an amalgam of those things. Sure. It's mobility work, it's mindset, it's self-development. Uh, it's pretty fluid, person to person, but that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Okay, yeah. And that's, uh, as we spoke while we were kind of um, uh, deciding on a time to, to have this chat, I, I mentioned that I think we have kind of a similar background. Um, mm-hmm. And how did you, so the way I, I, I see it personally, I dealt with my own pain for, for years. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of, there were a number of kind of epiphanies, kind of turning points. What were those for you? Is there anything that stands out for you that really changed the way you approached your health? Yeah, uh, and I think what you mentioned kind of touches on it perfectly that each of us in this field, we're kind of driven by our own pains and insecurities Mm -hmm. and our own personal hell. And uh, the biggies for me were, um, you know, one of the big turning points in terms of my course of study was uh, an injury in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that led me into, you know, the whole corrective exercise, rabbit hole, functional movement, yada, yada. It got a little better, uh, but didn't quite get back up to speed. Uh, that's what led me into the natural movement practice originally. Um, it helped things tremendously, but still there was like this nagging ugh going on in my hip. Like the way I describe it is, you know, how like in a wood panel or something, you see those knots. Yeah. That's it felt like I had this knot, not like a muscle tension knot, but like a dead zone in my hip. Um, so when I kind of exhausted everything I could think of in natural movement and corrective exercise, all that, that is what really spurred me going into somatic education, uh, dealing with the emotional components of a movement practice, uh, the emotional components of where we hold and how we hold in our bodies. Uh, that was just really eye-opening. And that's what eventually led me into more of the, you know, psychotherapeutic self-development. Like I went through a lot of that to deal with my own stuff. Mm. Uh, Because I dove into the somatic work, I realized I kept coming up against issues around uh, masculinity, emotional expression, um, just confidence and worth. And so that led me into a, a period of gestalt therapy that was another kind of pivotal thing. So I would say it was hip injury and then emotional stickiness and uh, 
at this point, it's finally at the level of like curiosity is the primary driver. I feel like most of the stuff is not fixed, but uh, better and in process. And so now it's just kind of authentic curiosity about what I'm pulled to at this mm. point. Okay. You you mentioned um, a few different things, somatic um, education. So that's like Hannah somatics kind of stuff or th that umbrella? Of that work. umbrella, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Hanosomatics, you know, Feldenkrais methods, body-mind centering, hmm. uh, a number of different avenues within there. But yeah, all under that same umbrella of psychophysical development, looking at the human organism in its wholeness. Okay. So, uh, obviously, you mentioned that. You mentioned Gestalt uh, therapy, that sort of thing. And people, perhaps listening to this, are always going to be wondering, what's the thing? You know, was it, it was this technique, it was that supplement, it was that whatever. Um, obviously it's, it's not so much about that. It's not so much about what Thomas Hanna described, you know, the movements of the spine and, you know, red light, green light reflexes. It's something within that, that you were able to experience. So how would you, what do you think it really is? What did you, what was the epiphany for you personally? If, if you, that is, if you don't, you don't have to yeah. say specifics, but. If you can yeah, you know, down. if I had to pin it down, I'd say it, it's something like it's not a, a technique and it's not a dogma. It's not a trade secret. It's it's something about being comfortable being in <laughs> process, uh, being able to sit with and be in just the the fluid unfolding within movement within our uh psychological health within our emotional expression um i think each of these different disciplines and lenses and perspectives they they show us something about our blind spots they so they show us something about our holdings our rigidities they so they show us something about where we're fixed and how we're like clinging and they give us an avenue to soften that clinging. Um, that's probably the best that I can come up with. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was a point I was going to make. Um, yeah, so someone's coming into to you. I mean, realistically, if they're approaching you for for treatment or whatever, they've got a bit of a background and they know the kinds of things that you talk about. So maybe that barrier has already been passed and they're on that, that same page or they're open to that same page. Mm -hmm. But do you have, um, say someone walks in and they've have no, they have no concept of the body beyond the mechanistic muscles, contracting joints, grinding. Um, they have no concept of anything beyond that. How do you, mm -hmm broach that subject how do you get someone to understand you talking about gestalt talking about somatic um, education yeah well and i think that's the big benefit of um or the big thing that i took from gestalt work and from psychotherapy in general is uh in a situation like that and hopefully ideally in all situations i'm less concerned with my view of what's right and what's better hmm. and i want to get a very uh, clear, very empathetic understanding of what it's like to be that person, what it's like to live uh, in that body. Um, I want to get a sense not only of some of the objective external measurements of like movement quality, uh, interoceptive awareness, these things, but uh, leaving space for their, their subjective understanding and their, their subjective experience, how they feel, what they think about. Uh, what they're afraid of, what they're drawn to. Uh, that informs my work as much as like, you know, the objective joint assessments and the the interoceptive assessments and all these kind of things. Mm. Um, so it's it's establishing common ground and saying like, huh, yeah, that must suck to have like that fear around moving your spine how can we start to bridge that? Like, what are you drawn to? What are you, you know, shying away from? Um, it's more so than establishing my way as the way, it's let's figure out a way. 
least where you are and where I am. Okay. Uh, one of the things I was I was looking over your neuromuscular warm up um, yesterday, and there was something you said in particular that I, that I really liked, and it's um, and it ties back to this idea of it's we're all bringing something different. Uh, all of these different systems are around because they work on some level, um, mm-hmm. but. I have it written down, so I'll paraphrase you. We all bring something to the table, and if we get our clients able to receive that input, and so that's that key point, receive the input, then we're cooking. That was that was what you said. I like that. Um, so yeah, this this idea of receiving, because a person walking into uh, to your movement space to a treatment room. They're, it's a it's a vulnerable scenario you know they're, they're in pain perhaps they're immobile they don't know you very well they don't know me very well and in my case they might be they might be lying down on a, on a treatment table and it's quite a it's a vulnerable potentially unsafe scenario mm-hmm. so there is this idea of how we can have all the answers we can have all the answers in the world we can look at it objectively you need this 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 and the problem solved but they need to receive it the, the nervous system has to accept that as a better alternative to what it's been doing so far. How how do you begin to uh, <laughs> big question? Yeah. How do you begin to do that? Yeah, well, and I like that you mentioned it's it's on the level of the nervous system as well. Like it's not just yeah, I hear you and I, I'm listening to you saying that I need X Y Z. It's like well, sure. Cognitively, yeah, but mm. there's an organismic response that we need to cultivate. Like there's an opening up and receiving at the level of uh, a bit deeper than, than cognitive processing. So I, you know, in, in so much of this work, I defer to uh, the work of Carl Rogers, uh, psychologist, psychotherapist, and he was really concerned with what are the qualities of a healing relationship, both within uh, psychotherapeutic relationships, but also on just a, a human-to-human level. And it was really radical work. Like he kind of broke things down and said, "You don't need to be a psychotherapist to have a healing relationship with someone." Hmm. And both objectively and within his kind of subjective experience of it, he found a few key qualities. So they could actually measure these within relationships. And I think. For anyone in our profession, healing or coaching or whatever, it's a phenomenal uh, base to start from. So the first would be um, empathetic understanding, like trying to get a really clear sense. Oh, yeah, take notes, everybody at home. Uh, Empathetic understanding is first and foremost the thing, is trying to really feel and understand what that person is experiencing. Um congruence is another big one and the way he puts that is be what you are and of course we have to keep in mind his lens from psychotherapy the paradigm at the time was you're this objective observer like taking notes as the person's on the couch and he says like no if you're mad be mad if you're happy be happy if you're afraid be afraid and convey that to the the person you're working with convey that you're a human first and foremost like we're not looking to create relationships with some, you know, neurokinetic therapist or some somatic practitioner. Like we're looking to establish a relationship with a human being mm-hmm. who happens to also be those things. Mm-hmm. So bring all of yourself into that interaction. Uh, congruence, number two. And then the third big one was uh, unconditional positive regard. Like take out your biases, take out your whatever give a shit about the person you're working with Mm. like genuinely try to want what's best for them and not even working with i should take that back the person you're you're talking with it's Mm. like i genuinely want what's best for you pa because like you're you seem like a cool guy and even if you weren't a cool guy it's like you're a person and if we can have more people who are getting what's good for them the world's probably going to be a little better so empathy, congruence, and unconditional positive regard, I think, are just like the foundational pieces of the puzzle to establish um, a, a fluid, a real a, a healing connection between two people. Okay. 
And just to perhaps take a step back, um, again, with, uh, within the people in mind, that the people that I have in mind, mm-hmm. people who are coming to this with perhaps uh, the same background, and that's uh, with, with, without our background. And that, that's something I wonder about a lot is we are familiar with this content to, to some degree, and I, I have a little story about that in my notes that I'll, I'll mention later we perhaps forget how much we know and how obvious a lot of this stuff is so just before we get too not too much but we get further into the these ideas why does any of this matter to my hip or why does any why might any of this matter to my hip Uh, is there a, a sort of cookie cutter way that you approach this topic this stuff matters to your hip because <laughs> because you are your hip. Uh, <laughs> it matters to your hip because your hip isn't just a, a piece. It's, you know, we... <sighs> There's this phrase, and I'm going to forget who it is. I think it might be Guy Claxton, but he says, uh, we don't... You do not have a body. You are a body. Like, mm. it matters to your hip because you are your hip. And if you've got stuff that is rigid or broken or dysfunctional or whatever going on uh, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, it's going to manifest in physical, what we'd call physical symptoms. Uh, I use, you know, uh, we talked about anisomatics and red light, green light. Hmm. You might use this as an, as an example for someone, and let's shift from hip to shoulder because this one may be more obvious. Think about someone who uh, is dealing with anxiety and feels like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Hmm. Uh, they're going to have that kind of hunched shoulders up to their ears. Like It's just it's a pattern that we see manifest hmm. all the time. So it's safe to say that that's a little cookie-cutter kind of rule. Hmm. So I listen a lot for the language that people use too. Like if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders or you feel like you can't stand your ground or you don't have a backbone or like <laughs> it's in our language because our, our language comes from our bodies. That's why this stuff matters for your hip or your shoulder or your spine because it's it's more than that. Like you are a mind enmeshed within a body. Like you emerge from that and so all of this stuff matters. Maybe not in obvious linear causal relationships, but it matters. Uh, inevitably, irreducibly, this stuff matters. Sure. And would you agree that the body is constantly trying its best with with what it has? Okay. I, I do have that kind of humanistic, optimistic uh, assumption that, yeah, we have a... We have an innate tendency in striving toward growth and wholeness and curiosity and play. And it's like, mm. yeah, we're doing the best with what we have available. Yeah. I really do think that. Yeah, I find that kind of a useful as a, as a basic uh, principle when we're, when someone's perhaps coming in and they're fed up and they're in pain and they're like, why, why on earth is this happening? Uh, why would my brain choose to uh, create this pain? But the idea that, the situation they're in is is the best solution at that time given the information available and the resources mm-hmm. available um, yeah so yeah i think that that's going to be a useful thing for for anyone listening to to understand that and to frame things uh, within that uh, that idea um the the story i mentioned earlier was it's kind of going back to this idea of how do we get the information to click? Um, and a thing I've experienced personally is I was given certain bits of advice over the years. And say, for example, seven years ago, roughly, I was told by an osteopath the importance of, of breathing into my belly and, and harnessing that skill. And it just didn't make any sense to me. I didn't grasp it. I never even... even um, applied it and for the past two or so years I've been just so into breathing and I can't recommend it enough that information was there presented to me but I was not able to receive it 
and your um, your video on the neuromuscular warm-up which which was very good there was nothing in it that I didn't know already uh, it's all the hanasomatic stuff I've studied that myself and but it was it was the way you 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 mentioned the the idea of I, I forget the effect that you cited it's like um it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect it's like a something effect if you dampen the stimulus Mm. The, the the smaller stimulus is, is you're more able to perceive it so the quality Weber, of information Weber-Fechner law yeah yeah ah, well, okay um, so again my, uh, my my sort of point around this is how do you manage to convey these complex theories concepts mm. how do you dampen the noise so that someone can, so that such a small input or stimulus can be received and can reverberate in such a significant way. I think this is maybe the, the biggest thing that I've taken from somatic work is that <coughs> anything that we can directly teach isn't very significant. Like anything that I could just say to you and you go, hmm, uh-huh, yeah, like not significant, not uh real not juicy uh, the the real stuff that we learn is we learn it experientially we learn it through through kind of the unfolding emerging process like that's what significant learning is and so in a lot of the somatic work and what I see guys like uh, the fighting monkey team doing as well is creating situations that facilitate learning some outcome and not even like an outcome that I want you to learn it's like I'm going to give you an experiment and I want you to explore within this set of constraints within these parameters and you're going to learn something from it and then we can talk we can powwow and see what you learn but you know the the rote learning of various facts like I look at this in uh, the way we teach anatomy too is like you can memorize all the bits and pieces, but until you have like an embodied understanding of these anatomical relationships, it's very surface level. Like I don't care that you can name a serratus and supraspinate. Like I, that stuff doesn't matter uh, unless you can actually feel and sense into it. Uh, so if we can create situations where people can get their own learning from it, I think that's the, the deepest and most significant way to convey these concepts. Okay. Um, and so again, it's back to this idea that it's, it's not so much the thing, it's not so much Hannah Somatics, it's not so much whatever it is, it's the, um, the opportunity for, for growth and wherever that growth may come from or may grow towards. Do you have exactly. any basic practices that you sort of kind of neutral practices like breathing like meditation like whatever it is do you have anything like that that you tend to recommend or tend to default to if you are advising someone in, and encouraging them to become more embodied or whatever it might be yeah called. I would say you know the I like that phrase the neutral practices hmm. uh, be still every day for some period of time, you know, whatever that looks like, standing, seated, lying, supine, be still. Um, longer than you think you ought mm -hmm. to, probably. Um, spending more time on the floor each day, just as a general practice, pretty good, like in natural movement and somatic, like we're on the floor a lot. Um, walk outside each day, like just be outdoors, um, sleep more and I would say those are maybe the, the go-to yeah. neutral practices yeah they're the old classics and, and they're not yeah. they're not particularly flashy but it's uh, it's uh, yeah I do agree I I'd, I'd pretty much list the same things and it's um, that's something I often kind of we always want more we always want the flashier bigger thing and um even though i all these things you're saying i'm familiar with uh, but i can also get caught up in in this kind of thinking of 
doing the flashier, more elaborate thing. But it all sort of boils down to <coughs> these um, foundational practices. Uh, moving on, sort of to your to movement practice. There, there was in your your newsletter recently. There are a couple. Of, oh no, one was your newsletter, and one was one of your Instagram posts. There's kind of these um, not opposing views, but they kind of show two different sides uh, of the same coin. So the first one is um, your quote was my way of moving is better than your way said everyone <laughs> who missed the point so i like that people again can get really caught up in the system you know this system and i i, I recorded a thing about posture uh, earlier this this morning and just sort of talking about the idea that you can paralyze yourself with this um this fear of doing the wrong thing can you expand on this idea? Um... Yeah. Uh, so for anyone who didn't see the post, kind of tongue-in-cheek, it was like uh, a ring muscle-up right next to a, a muscle-up on a tree branch or in mm. movement movement called like the tuck pop-up. Um, the, the joke is that like you're, you're getting up over something either, <laughs> and people get really bent out of shape about the name that you call getting up over something. Uh, they get really caught up in the technical, well, this is how we get up over something. And it's like, well, look at what is actually happening. Like strip away the names and strip away the dog and strip away all the bullshit. And, you know, look at what came before all of the names and the dogma and the bullshit. Like at the end of the day, it's using your arms to help you get on top of something. Um, I think we we have this weird cultural bias where we do tend to box ourselves in some way and say, I'm doing yoga, now I'm doing CrossFit, now I'm doing natural movement, now I'm doing FRC, whatever. Um, and the, the really odd thing is that our, our bodies intuitively know a lot of this stuff. Like it takes a while to peel off some of the, the layers of the onion and get back to like trusting that intuitive knowing, but your body knows what's good for it. it it's a self-correcting system. Like if you feel aches and pains and st it's like, well, that's the sign that you probably ought to be moving. And if something feels good, like maybe we do that more often something feels bad, maybe we stop doing that. And we complicate a lot and we get really territorial around like my way of moving, whatever the hell that means. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I kind of understand because, you know, we need to call things things, but um, it's when we, it's when we mistake our name for something for the thing itself. That's when we run into problems. Yeah. And this is, um, you're familiar with Sam Fallhaber. You're, you're doing a course with her. Yeah, yes. yeah, we're yeah. Uh, a workshop together later. Yeah, she was, um, I was talking to her last week. Um, and I, I didn't realize at the time that you were doing a course. Well, when I set up, I was setting up both of these around the same time. Um, and it was only when I spoke to her that she mentioned, uh, mentioned the course with you. So I, I think there's a, a lot of crossover with your ideas. And we kind of talked about this with her. It's this idea of how do you give people permission to to just move? You know, sometimes it's um, there's something about putting on a bit of music or something and just moving in whatever way. And there's the likes of um, um, Zen archery. What's it called? I've completely mm. blanked. You know, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This idea of just sort of flowing um, and doing whatever feels right how do you again do you have a go-to do you have a a way of giving people permission or, or perhaps making people feel less self-conscious and less hesitant about exploring their their movement uh, i would defer to some of the the fundamental principles of improvisation would be like you notice more and you let go and you use everything. Um, the way that I 
kind of get people's toes wet in that it just comes straight from the contact improv kind of rule book. There's not a rule book, but uh, you start in standing and they call it the little dance. And, you know, you're standing and of course our bodies aren't going to be rigidly locked in place. Like there'll be things shifting. You'll shift your weight side to side. So we may just cue someone in and say, okay, as you're standing there, where do you feel your weight underneath you? Where do you feel that shifting? Where do you feel things moving up above the chain there? And then I just invite people to exaggerate some of that. It's like, well, cool. What would that look like if that shift grew a bit more? Or it just, you amplify that. What happens if you just turn up the volume on that little movement that your body's making and you start maybe swaying or something? And then it's like, okay, great. Come back and pause. Especially like if you're nervous about just moving, it's like, take a lot of breaks. Come back to to just whatever you're comfortable with and explore again. And maybe more parts of you move in more ways. Uh, maybe you give yourself permission to like make a sound. I know for me, that was something that was always difficult as I got into somatic work was vocalization, making sounds as I move. Mm. Um, but you, you dip your toes in bit by bit and you get more familiar with the unfamiliar, I'd say. Okay. And this is, uh, I mentioned before, this sort of uh, the other side of the coin based on a, on a different post you you mentioned. I'm just checking my my notes. So yeah, it was this, this idea. Um, it must be nice to have hours to spend moving each day. And you talked about having... Well, like the fact that it wasn't that nice, you had worked for it and you had earned it and, and that's sort of a, a separate thing. But sometimes you just need to knuckle down and you need to invest the time. So we have mm. this this kind of, you don't need to get caught up in the, the specifics. It doesn't need to be this system. Your spine doesn't need to be neutral and rigid or whatever it is. But you need to do, you need to do it. You need to put in the work. What does your own practice look like? Um, we'll start with that. What does your own practice look like? So each morning uh, I go through some of those, you know, the bare bones that we talked about before. It's like, well, be still and move around on the floor. Uh, most days I do controlled articular rotations from FRC. Sometimes I just like roll around in like a puddle on the floor. feels good too. Um, I write and in terms of what my training looks like, uh, it's very loosely defined, but I walk around in the woods. Uh, if something looks fun to climb on, I climb it. If it looks fun to jump on, I jump on it. Um, recently, I'm trying to get like a little, just like raise my baseline of strength. So I just like have a barbell loaded up in the living room here and, you know, I squat throughout the day. Um, I, at this stage, you know, I think it, it ebbs and flows, but I'm really bored with like the quantitative practice of sets and reps. And like, I know it's good for some things and I just don't care right now. Um, it's not what I want out of my practice right now. For some clients, you probably need sets and reps based on what you're going for. Um, but in terms of what I'm looking for at this point, it's, I want to be grounded. I want to be strong. I want to be connected. And it's like, well, great. How do I just intuitively move toward that? Uh, I'll play with a number of the games from the fighting monkey practice, the kind of Pentagon footwork. Uh, I've got the dragon pearl, like the big ass wooden ball. Uh, I've got practice ball set up in the backyard and I'll move around there. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's primarily driven by like what I'm curious and what I'm like genuinely into at this point, rather than a sense of compulsion. Like I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to maintain my title as Chandler the Mover. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, again, thinking from the perspective of someone who's not in this world, who doesn't do this as as their profession, but wants an improved. Uh, improved life how much i know you we, we you kind of said you're not really into the numbers and sets and reps mm -hmm. but how much do you think is really necessary 
I think it's fair to say that modern living is sort of at odds with our biology. That doesn't mean we throw it out, out the window. We have bills to pay and, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. How much do you think is, at, uh, we'll say, the bare minimum in terms mm-hmm. of moving, in terms of variety? So, you know, I guess on the one hand, we got to make it clear to people like you don't need to move. You can you can waste away if you want. Like that's a choice you could make. Uh, you could not move, and you will suffer the very predictable consequences of that choice. Uh, but it's a choice you could make if you want to. <laughs> be better and be more capable and be stronger and just enjoy your experience of living in a body more. You know, when like looking for the bare minimum dosage, it's like, well, what's the bare minimum of how good you want to feel? Um, I, I really have a hard time putting like a, a, a recommended daily serving, but it's like, how good do you want to feel? And what sacrifices are you willing to make in the present moment? For the future you. Uh, you have to give up a bit now to be more of what you want to be in the future. So if you know you want to move better, at a minimum, you really ought to be moving each of your joints through its full range of motion every day. At least a couple of times. Um, but I, I really do think it comes down to like you as a person and how you want to live your life. Well, how good do you want to feel? And what are you going to do to feel that way? Hmm. There's um, a nice Jordan Peterson quote that I quite like. It's, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but you're going to pay a price no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially the, the, the point being is that you either suffer now and, and do the work for a, a better future or you take the easy option, the immediate easy option, knowing that tomorrow you're still going to be sore or whatever it is, you know, it's uh, applicable to so many things, and um, perhaps, uh, perhaps it is worth talking about uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, since he's he's all the rage these days. And I would like to to have him on. Uh, I I just need to think of an angle that I can fit this into the umbrella of movement and health, uh, without rehashing everything he's he's done. But have you found his work to? Obviously, his work is, is excellent and uh, great for personal development. Have you seen that trickle down to movement, to pain, to health? You know, I when we look at things from the systems lens, from the somatic viewpoint, from the, the lens of wholeness, I think the, the parallels are obvious. It's like, yeah, if you sort yourself out mentally, you're going to sort yourself out physically. Hmm. Uh, if you can get really clear. One of the things that I love about Peterson is that it's like just such no bullshit approach to being better. Like in the self-help personal development space, we're biased toward like saccharine, comfortable, inspiration-y bullshit. And what he does is just paint a very clear picture of like, just like you mentioned, you're going to have to give something up to get something, you have to let go of the ball to grab the ice cream cone or whatever the case is. Um, if you can get really clear on how you want to be and who you want to become and why you want that, uh, you know, we could defer to Nietzsche, and Peterson's a fan of Nietzsche as well, but it's like whoever has a strong enough why can endure any how. Like if you know why you want to be strong and capable, you're going to find a way to squat and deadlift and carry heavy stuff around. Mm. If you have a strong enough why of <clears throat> wanting to connect with the natural world, you're going to go climb trees and walk around barefoot. Like you're going to organize your life in such a way that the you that you want to become naturally emerges from the decisions you make and the things you do every day. Okay. And uh, again, it's this sort of idea of two sides of the same same coin being upfront with someone. And it, it, this was another uh, recent uh, newsletter of yours. I can't remember the, the, the subject, but, but it was um, 
the idea of being honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But then going back to the, the key points of a therapeutic relationship are empathetic understanding. So how have you been able to marry or find a balance between being accepting of someone and being uh, a safe source of, uh, of information. So again, someone's coming in, they're coming for help, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be scrutinized and there's a way to scrutinize everything that's going on in a constructive, in a constructive mm-hmm. way. How do you approach that? If, if there is a specific way? Yeah, you know, I might, uh, in a lot of these relationships, I look at my primary role as just mirroring back what they say and what they do uh, and what they think based on our conversations, based on their movement. So if someone says over and over, man, I want my hip to get better, I want my hip to get better, I want my hip to get better, like I want to be able to squat and I want to be able to run and I want to be able to do all this stuff. And I say, great, well, based on where your body is now and where you want to go, this is probably the best course of action. Like, does that seem like something you could do? And they say, yeah, and then they don't do it. I'll say, well, that's interesting. It seemed like we thought that that was going to get you where you wanted to go, and yet you don't want to do it. So what do you make of that? And it's it's really genuine curiosity because, like, I don't know what's going on internally for them. Um, so what I often try to do is just reflect for people you are here based on some objective and subjective kind of lenses you want to be here and there are things that will move you from point a to point b uh there are things you know that you could be doing and things you know you probably could stop doing to facilitate your growth in that direction uh if you don't make those choices then we have to Examine that assumption that you actually do want to be here. It's like maybe you don't want to squat and run. What does that look like then? What else might you want if that's not a compelling vision for your future? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something I've been kind of trying to better understand. I mentioned at the start is you can have you can have all the answers, but is the person able to receive that information? And so that works on a couple of a couple of levels. Are they? Can we clear and reduce the noise enough so that their their nervous system feels safe enough to receive the new input? But are their own core values and guiding beliefs compatible with the vision that that they're mm-hmm. striving for? You know, the the one that they come in consciously striving for, the not being in pain that sort of thing have you come across any sort of um any mechanisms any theories as to where that stems from i mean i have my own my own ideas but i'd love to hear uh, anything you've found in terms of where that disconnect comes from yeah um how how can we explain that why can they consciously want this but unconsciously there's something that obviously keeps them in the loop that and and out of making progress oh god uh the <laughs> list of trauma culture yeah. uh their upbringing you know <laughs> all of the things that that we do and that we live like all of that will skew things sure i mean we we live in very strange times uh like we put ourselves in a very interesting context um so yeah, I mean, I think unless you know it again, it's a it's a conscious, deliberate decision. Unless you're voluntarily diving into that process of understanding yourself, like you're gonna stay stuck. You're gonna be spinning your wheels. You're gonna keep coming up against like this wall and this wall. And you're at a certain point, you're gonna get tired of banging your head in the same wall. And then you say like, "Damn, I need to probably question some of my assumptions about things." Um, it's like, you know, I tried all of the, the stuff within my paradigm to deal with my hip 
none of that stuff was working. And so I had to say like, well, damn, maybe this paradigm's broken. Maybe I'm not a bag of meat that I can pound and tenderize and stretch into the shape I want. Maybe there's something else going on here. Lo and behold, uh, when you question your assumptions, it really changes your understanding of things. You you mentioned that obviously the the times we live in are uh, complicated, and I said they're perhaps at odds with with what we really should be doing. Are you ultimately positive about the the outlook? Do you think? Hmm. I. I would say I, I can't skew myself toward like rose-colored optimism. Uh, I think there's tremendous potential for things to get tremendously better. Uh, but it takes some of us, not a lot of us, but it takes some of us sorting ourselves out. Uh, and this is something that I'm really inspired by Peterson's work. He's like, yeah, there, there's no telling the upper limit on one person getting their shit figured out. Like you look at you and, and me and all the people we follow on Instagram or our neighbors and we're not like drastically different from Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela. Like there are people who just get their stuff so in line that they affect massive change for the good. On the other hand, there are people that do the same thing and affect massive change for the bad. And so I can't be too optimistic or too pessimistic. It's like we've got to really get our shit figured out on a on an individual level, um, and that that's a, a Jungian idea. Is like a million zeros don't add up to one. You got to have one person, maybe even one person in a nation, who really figures their stuff out to make things better. Um, so I look at you know the massive issues we're dealing with. Uh, natural resource depletion, social inequality, like political turmoil, all of this stuff. Like anybody listening can affect change in unpredictable ways if they just strive toward the best of themselves. Uh, you know, I've had people go through the the Trust the Flux program I put out in particular, like. The feedback has been phenomenal. It's like the people in the course get better and they say like my partner is getting like my friends are better. Like it's this ripple. You throw a stone in and it's it's going to go beyond that stone. Can you talk a bit about that that system uh, that that program I was I was reading about it just before we we came on uh, and it sounds very interesting without divulging the contents of the, of the course of course um, is there anything you you could share in terms of what brought you to put out a course that's not movement based as far as i understand or is it yeah uh well no and it was a, a kind of personal crisis for me um last year i was in a the most terrifying plane flight of my life like we were flying from seattle into denver we tried to land like three times and we'd like bank back up and then, you know, you have that drop. Mm. And I just remember like the scared monkey feeling of like clutching onto a seat as like, oh shit, I might die here. And yeah. you know, like I'm maybe one of three people on the plane who isn't puking or shitting. Like it, it's not fun. And so you land and <laughs> you just wonder like, if I had died there, is that the best that I could have done with all of this? Hmm. And, you know, the phrase that popped into my head, like as soon as I, not as soon as I landed, but in the coming days and weeks was like, I'm bored with movement stuff. And as soon as I said that, it was like, <gasps> oh, shit, but I'm Chandler the mover. But I was like, I, I got really tired of talking about hip mobility. And, and I contributed to the just the noise of information, like we don't need more information on how to make hips work better. Clearly, like that stuff's out there. What we need is something deeper that looks at the root of why are you doing things that are bad for your body in the first place, that are bad for you in the first place. Bad based on your standards, not on mine. So, you know, in the program, there I mean, there aren't any like secret techniques or anything. Like there are a few 
piecing together of concepts, but it's like tune into awareness of your body, of your immediate sensory environment, of the context of your life. Tune into that stuff. Just get really clear on where you are and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then get really clear on what you want out of your life. Not what like makes you happy or not what makes you like successful, but like what do you need in order to be the utmost of yourself? Like what do you need in order to thrive physically, mentally, professionally, in your relationships? Like just get clear and think about the Jordan Peterson idea of if, if you could craft a life that would be pretty good for you as just a person who you want something good for, what does that life look like? And then we go through a number of practices around like, you can shift your life to get closer toward that. There's some lifestyle design stuff. Look at the, the habitats that you're in every single day. Uh, look at the people you surround yourself with. Look at your behaviors. We look at, you know, habit shifting, kind of, but it's like, do different things. That's all. Do different things and do them in a in an informed and an intentional way. Um, and stop doing the stupid things. Like, stop for me, like, stop picking at your nails, Chandler. Like, make sure you get nine hours of sleep every night. Like, do the stuff that you know makes you better. Um, that's, the, that's the program. And it was, I mean, it's very much like a self-helpy kind of program, but it's what I felt was important to do um, based on, just based on what was going on for me at that point in time. And sort of to, I mean, you, you probably kind of covered it there, but I always wonder what's one thing or a handful of things that, you, that you've perhaps learned from your own background that other people wouldn't know, but that would enhance most people's lives? Is there, I mean, it's a tough question. Is there that one thing, you know, there's probably never that one thing. Well, you know, what comes to mind, and I just made a post about this on Instagram yesterday, but if you, and this comes from the Gestalt world, if you imagine that there's a bird looking in at you from the window, what's obvious to that bird? Like, what does that bird see you doing? Where does that bird see you doing? Like, what's obvious right here and right now? Uh, I'm squatting in front of a computer that's set up on a chair in a, you know, a relatively messy kind of living room and uh there are plants behind like take note of all the obvious stuff about you and what you're doing and your life and then just look like what does that reveal about you as a person what does that reveal about your implicit values and desires and what makes you comfortable what you're into uh and once you ask like what's obvious then you can ask like well okay, is that what I want to be obvious about me? Do I want to be the sort of person that squats for a little Skype call? Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's in line with who I want to be and how I want to be. Uh, do I want to be the sort of person with like a messy living room? No, not necessarily. So maybe I'm going to go clean this stuff up afterwards. Um, but I, I really do think awareness is like the kind of fundamental ingredient for making a, a deliberate change in how you are as a person that sounds great i think yeah. on that note that's a, a a sort of nice way to to wrap up what's been again what, what i love is um same with my my talk with sam is that i'm going into this with with the idea of movement and i know very well that's it's you're, you're gonna bring much more than uh than a movement perspective but uh, it's it's great to hear you expand on all of these things and, and really demonstrate the connections that go far beyond what's going on at my hip, what's going on at my shoulder. And the, the question I've always entered these uh, podcasts with is, how do I communicate this uh, to the person coming in the door? How do I give them that little epiphany uh, where they where things click and they're like okay my the entire i think it's your, your idea of ecosomatics the entire thing matters yeah so, um it, it's been great to uh to hear your perspective 
I'm conscious of keeping this within an hour. Some people are really peculiar about time, but I'd love to do this again sometime if, if you'd be up for it. Um, I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we can maybe flesh out some, uh, some other aspects of, uh, of the conversation and maybe go even, even further beyond, uh, beyond mobility and, and see where things take us. Do you have any, just as we, as we wrap up, um, where can people find you, support you, get some coaching? Uh, so main website would be chandlerstevens.com. Um, if you are a teacher or trainer or coach, you probably want to take a look at thesomaschool.com. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well, Chandler Stevens or at Chandler the Mover. Uh, <laughs> with funny at this point but whatever uh, but those are probably the best places to find me uh, shoot me an email Chandler at ChandlerStevens.com with any questions that kind of thing and uh, try to make it pretty easy pretty accessible sure well what I'll do is I'll, I'll link uh, everything in the, the, the description any closing thoughts otherwise <sighs> we've covered a lot yeah take yeah. one thing from this and just do it for a week don't don't take any, try like the one thing and start with that and then go from there. That's good advice. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, we'll let people uh, kind of sit with that information and we'll hopefully I'll, I'll, people people watching this, if you'd like to hear more about uh, more of our perspectives, more uh, expansion on these topics, let us know, comment below, do all that social media stuff and because I'd love to do this again. Uh, yeah. So thanks again so much for Ch uh, for coming on, Chandler, and I'll I'll uh, be in touch when all of this is edited and and ready to go. That sounds great. Perfect. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Right. See you later. So that was my chat with Chandler Stevens. We covered so much stuff. Again, we started out obviously talking about movement, trying to tie it into the everyday person where to go, where to begin, how to start changing your outlook, how to start viewing your movement capacity, your experience of pain in a, in a broader context. And it, um, it sort of blossomed into a, a bigger discussion, uh, which I would love to continue another time. So if you feel the same way, if you enjoyed the, the, the discussion, give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, and also let us know if you'd like to hear more on these topics, if you'd like us to kind of delve a bit, uh, uh, a bit deeper onto different aspects. I mentioned that the, the Jordan Peterson, um, the Jordan Peterson thing, it's unrelated to movement, it's related to personal improvement. And I'm, I, I'm very fond of his work, of Jordan Peterson's work, but I'm also conscious of keeping this relevant to, to movement, to your, your betterment and the improvement of your health. But if you'd like to hear more on that or anything that, that we kind of touched on, if you want us to expand on that, please let us know because I'd, I'd love any excuse to uh, do another one of those. And this applies for, for any show, of course. As usual, you're gonna get links to Chandler's uh, sites. He's got a couple of different sites. He's on all the, the usual social media, so that'll be down there. And today, I'm gonna play us out with a song by Pliny called Every Piece Matters, because I think it's, it's quite fitting for uh, the topics of today. So I hope you enjoy that, and I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>